Oh, anybody else get shivers when they watch that? Yeah. No? <laughs> a couple people? A couple U2 fans out there? Any, any U2 fans out there? True U2 fans? Okay. Um, anybody who can't stand U2? A couple people. Uh, that song gets me. That's my, that's my favorite U2 song. And uh, it just, it taps into something for me uh, that I want to I wanna get into this morning a little bit. Um, uh, but first, before I even get into anything, I'm going to invite the ushers forward. If you don't have a Bible on you, we just put up your hand. We'll give you one. You can use one of ours. And if, uh, if you don't own one, you can take that one home. It's our gift to you. And uh, we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, God through my iPod. Uh, when I was, you know, I'm only doing a couple of these this summer, um, so I had, uh, and if you know me, you know how much I appreciate music, and, uh, you know, I just love music, I love music, uh, and I love music, did I just say that three times? Uh, and so when I, when I made a list of the songs that I wanted to do, I probably had a list of like 40 songs, actually, and I had to dwindle it down to a couple, which was really, really difficult to do. Uh, and I'm still fighting over three or four for the next one. Um, but this one remained. And there's, a, there's an essence to the song. There's a longing to the song uh, that I feel like is very, very much in line with the heart of God. Uh, and even as I was uh, preparing for this Sunday, uh, me and the family are at the Calgary Folk Fest this week. And uh, so we took the morning off this morning. Uh, but I was listening to like a whole week of music and... Um, you know, once you're listening to all this music, all these lyrics, you know, starting to debate whether or not I should be changing my, my song. It was a little too late in the game for that, but uh, I didn't. But last night there was this one artist, he sang a whole set with uh, the lines from the Chinese fortune cookies. No word of a lie. Uh, he just, for an hour straight, he had uh, he wrote lyrics based on the fortune cookie lines, and he did an hour of that singing. It was um, there's a lot of people sleeping actually. Um, so I didn't. I thought it should be a bit more intentional than that. Uh, so we're going with you two, where the streets have no name. Lisa and I actually went to this concert uh, on this tour. Uh, so this is the the video that you saw was from the Rose Bowl. Uh, but we went to the tour when it was in Vancouver. Uh, some of our friends, actually from SunWest, we all flew down together. Uh, my buddy John, who was leading worship today, he actually went, he, he saw that very, he was there at the very concert where that video was taken. Uh, but yeah, we went to the one in Vancouver, the stop right before that one, and that was the night where the edge fell off the stage when he was playing guitar, if you've, if you've seen video clips of that. Uh, but we flew down to Vancouver, we were... Uh, in that, if you watched in the video, they had that inner circle. You, you know, they had the, the, the catwalk on the outside, and they had the inner circle of people. So we were in that standing room only inner circle, which is pretty fun. Uh, so we got there. A bunch of us flew out. We got there right in the morning, and we stood in line. I forget what number. Uh, who was there with me? What number were we in line? Andrew, Andrew Brown was there with me, right? Huh? 200 and something. Okay. So we're 200 and something in line. And we're, we're sitting there in line all day. It was a cold day, uh, rainy. Uh, Lisa, my wife, was uh, quite pregnant at that point. Uh, it was like borderline, should we fly or not fly? Uh, but uh, we thought, this will be, be fun. We'll go with our friends. So we stood in line all day. And the way that that seating works is when, the, when they open it up, it's basically a free-for-all sprint to the inner circle to get the best seats you get the best spot you can. So you can imagine my dilemma. Um, I got my, whatever, five, six-month pregnant wife, and, uh, and I want to be close to Bono. <laughs> and so I'm like, ah, line's moving, line's moving. You, you can bet which one won out. Uh, so I was pretty close to Bono. Yeah. <laughs> I was about three people away from Bono on the, on the stage there. Uh, Lisa eventually found her way to us through the crowd. <laughs> if, she, if you ask her about the experience, it's not, it's not quite as rosy as I make it out to be. I thought it was a great, great night. Uh, but that was, my highlight. that was my highlight of the night, where the streets have no name. Uh, Bono opened with uh, Amazing Grace, which to me is just the, the perfect foundation uh, for the song. So before we go any further, let's take a look at the lyrics, because the lyrics weren't on your screen, so we're going to throw them up right now. 
Where the streets have no name by you two. I want to run, I want to hide. I want to tear down the walls that hold me inside. I want to reach out and touch the flame where the streets have no name. I want to feel sunlight on my face. I see the dust cloud disappear without a trace. I want to take shelter from the poison rain where the streets have no name. Where the streets have no name, where the streets have no name. We're still building and burning down love, burning down love. And when I go there, I go there with you. It's all I can do. The city's a flood and our love turns to rust. We're beaten and blown by the wind, trampled in dust. I'll show you a place high on a desert plain where the streets have no name. Where the streets have no name, where the streets have no name, we're still building and burning down love, burning down love. And when I go there, I go there with you. It's all I can do. So there's a, there's a longing in these lyrics. And I think one of the reasons is why such, it's, it's such a popular song is because of what it taps into in the human heart. Um, and let me just go with saying that this song occurred on the Joshua Tree, I think, 1987. And that might be the best three songs in a row of any album in history. Can I get an amen on that? Where the streets have no name. Um, I still haven't found what I'm looking for with or without you. One, two, three to kick off the album. Un- unreal. Um, anyways, so this song, we're still building and burning down love. I, I love this, this tension that's, that's in the lyrics uh, and I feel like that, that line kind of encompasses us as human beings, that we're, we're always in the process of building and burning down love. It's kind of the human condition. We're relational be- beings. We're, we, we live in relationship with others. We live in relationship with God. And we're always trying to build something, yet despite our best efforts, even at times we're uh, burning down what we're building. There's been lots written about what the meaning of these lyrics mean. And I'm not going to pretend to, to unlock everything that these lyrics mean, or even, uh, I have no idea. Uh, even Bono has gone on record saying he's not even quite sure what they mean, and they, it's taken on multiple meanings. Uh, but there's, there's been suggestions, from, some from Bono himself, uh, that uh, in 1985, so before this was released, 1987, Bono went uh, to Ethiopia on a trip there, uh, and it was really his first time engaging with that level of poverty. And he commented that there was something that those folks that were in poverty had that he, uh, in his wealth and affluence, didn't have. And I think if you talk with people who, who are from SunWest that have gone on the Mexico trips, either to uh, Me- or mission trips to Mexico or El Salvador, Africa, Dominican, Thailand, you, you hear similar stories come back that there's there's something for uh, when we visit these communities that are in systemic poverty, and even though there's great lack, there's something of a richness there. And that richness uh, spoke to Bono. And in this place in, in Ethiopia, there, the streets didn't have names, they just had numbers. And so he's uh, you know, thinking through, contemplating uh, this place where streets are nameless. In contrast to his homeland, which is Ireland, uh, who was, uh, Ireland was in a type of civil war in the late 20th century. The country was warring and there were divisions made, divisions between, uh, you know, political divisions, religious divisions, Protestants, Catholics. And so Bono's made a couple of comments in respect to that, that in Ireland, the cities were divided, and apparently by knowing which street a person lives on, you can tell their religion, uh, their wealth, and their political beliefs and alignment, depending on which city or which street they live in. So you kind of get this essence where the streets have no name, that he's, he's longing for this place without labels and subdivisions. He's longing for this place where we're not divided where there's equality, where we look at one another and we actually recognize the humanness in each other, where there's no one that doesn't have that, the image of God, if we were to use Christian language, in them. 
And so you have Ethiopia, you have this Ireland, but you also have this, uh, these, uh, this sense of heaven in the lyrics. That heaven, this place of equality, this place uh, where the streets don't have a name, where everybody belongs, where everybody is equal. And so I would say there's, there's three stages here from Bono on what these lyrics allude to. His time in Ethiopia, in Ireland, and heaven itself. And I don't know what street you grow up in, but I, you know, let's talk about this for a second. Where the streets have no name. I grew up in a town called Killarney. I, li- I grew up on Broadway Avenue. For you, it means nothing. It sounds very cool. Um, I lived, I don't know, there was 3,000 people in my town or something like that. Uh, small town. So Broadway Avenue doesn't sound as awesome as it is. In, in fact, we were on Broadway Avenue on the wrong side of the train tracks. Um, and so we were uh, north of the tracks. And so all of the rambunctious activity in the town seemed to happen north of the tracks. Uh, lots of parties. Uh, you know, the drug dealers were on the north of the tracks. There were, you know, there was some cases of some teens burning cats that happened north of the tracks. Um, our neighbor was actually, this random fact, was picked up by a tornado twice uh, <laughs> north of the tracks. <laughs> Guys ripping around on their sunfires, spinning donuts. So Broadway Avenue, north of the tracks, not the place uh, you want to live, but that's the place I grew up, in the hood of Killarney. Uh, And you contrast that with Galloway Bay. So we got north of the tracks, and then we got Galloway Bay. And Galloway Bay, Killarney has a lake, Killarney Lake, and uh, Galloway Bay is right on the lake. So there you got your doctors, your dentists, your pastors, your (laughs) whoever. Um, actually, my pastor didn't live on Galloway Bay. But Galloway Bay, that was, that was kind of the upper class of Killarney. And you, you could tell which was the upper and lower uh, based on which houses the kids went to in Halloween. Uh, our house never got, you know, we got like six kids on Halloween. Galloway Bay, just packed with kids. Why? Because they gave out full chocolate bars, full bags of chips, except for the dentist. He handed out toothbrushes. Um, <laughs> But the kids, you say, you know, where do you want to go trick-or-treating? And anybody want to go north of the tracks? Broadway Avenue? North? No, nobody? Okay. Uh, how about Galloway Bay? All the kids' hands go up. Let's go to Galloway Bay. Because we are divided by our street names. The street names indicate uh, which class we're in. And the streets represented for Bono a metaphor of what labels us and what, what, divide, what subdivides us. And you look at the human race, and this could be anything. It could be race, religion, uh, sin, or in contrast, righteousness, economic class, language, age, gender, those that play Pokemon Go and those that do not. (laughs) And some of us here might feel like we're on on Galloway Bay or we're on Broadway Avenue north of the tracks, but we, we can usually identify you know, where we rank or where we're sitting in terms of the subdivisions and labels that our world throws out. So I want to tap into this longing this morning. I want to, I want to explore this, where the streets have no name, this place of equality, this place of uh, uh, where labels and division doesn't exist. And to do that, we're going to look at Matthew 7. So you can turn to Matthew 7 with me. I'm going to start in verse 6. This might seem like an obvious passage coming out of those lyrics. Six, uh, the second part of verse 6 there, Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. You guys see the connection? Makes sense, right? Anybody? No? Have, have you guys heard this before? Pearls before swine? Don't, don't throw your pearls before swine. How many of you guys have heard this, that phrase before? Does anybody actually know what that means? That's like the, that's like the oddest line maybe in scripture. It's, it's odd. Uh, you know, if you, if you read through Jesus' teaching here, it's like, don't, you know, don't worry. Um, you know, don't judge, don't, uh, don't look at a woman with lust in your eye, don't be angry, like all these things make sense, and then you get to, don't throw your pearls before the pigs. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. 
Like when's the last time you went out and you were like, just like tempted to take that pearl necklace and like take it off and start throwing it at the pigs? Anybody ever been tempted? Just in case you've, you've been tempted to do that, Jesus is telling you, don't do that. It's, it's very bad. It's, it's sinful. Don't waste your pearls. Very practical advice Jesus is giving. Now, what, what, is this, what is this talking about? In order for us, I think, to actually unpack what this means, we've got to go back and understand the context of what Jesus is saying here. Uh, this is part of Jesus' long sermon, Sermon on the Mount. Um, and uh, it takes place over a few chapters, but I want to highlight just kind of the flow of thought that Jesus is kind of going through here. So we back up into, verse, into chapter 6. And you look at verse 25, um, part of a, a longer dialogue, obviously, but I think this kind of encompasses the main thing of what Jesus is saying at this point in his sermon. He says, this is why I tell you not to worry. This is uh, Matthew 6, 25. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Uh, and there's another point in there that is, uh, right away that says, uh, you're... Your heavenly Father knows what you need. So you have in verse 6, don't worry. God knows what you need before you even ask him. And he kind of goes on to talk about the birds and the flowers and that uh, that God even takes care of these things. How much more is he going to take care of his kids? So the, the essence of the heart of what Jesus is saying here is entrust yourself to God. If you entrust yourself to God as God's kids, he's going to take care of you. Can you say that? Entrust yourself to God. Entrust yourself to God. So that's kind of the essence of what Jesus is getting at there in in, uh, chapter 6. And actually, when when it's talking about the reference to the birds, I just want to mention this because I thought it was neat. Eugene Peterson in the message says... um, uh, that the birds are careless in the care of God. Is that a neat line? The birds are careless in the care of God. So be like the birds. Be careless in the care of God. Entrust yourself to God. He will take care of you. And then it kind of goes right from that. So don't worry. Entrust yourself to God. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring about its own worries. Today's trouble is enough. For today, that's how verse uh, chapter six ends. It goes into chapter seven. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will treat you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. It's Matthew seven, verse one and two. And at the outset, these two things look kind of unrelated. Don't worry and trust yourself to God. God's going to take care of you. And then you get to chapter seven. Don't judge others, because if the measure that you judge others, you're going to be judged. But they're actually very related if you think of it in this way. Don't worry is entrusting yourself to God. I'm not going to worry because I trust that God's got me. Not judging others is actually a way of entrusting others to God. Do you guys see that? If I don't, uh, if I actually trust that God's got you, I don't need to play God and try and control you by judging and condemning and shaming. Okay, follow me here. Don't worry. I entrust myself to God. God's going to take care of me. Not only am I going to trust myself to God, I'm going to trust other people to God, which means that I don't need to worry about judging them, condemning them, shaming them. Basically, I don't need to try and control them through negative things like judgment and condemnation. I don't need to play God with myself and try and figure out everything on my own. I just need to trust him. I don't need to play God with other people and try and figure it out for them. I just need to trust God, or trust them to God. I don't need to judge them. And then it goes on, and we get to uh, pearls before pigs. An- another one that just seems like it doesn't really fit. Um, so don't judge other people. And then, uh, and then it talks about, you know, are you, if you're going to help someone with a speck in their eye, why don't you take out the log in your own eye first? We'll come back to that in a second. 
And then Jesus says, uh, don't throw your pearls before pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Okay, so the flow of thought. Don't worry. Trust yourself to God. Don't even worry about other people and trust them to God. You don't need to judge them. Don't need to condemn them. Don't need to try and control them and their behavior and their actions and their life uh, by the negativity of condemnation and judgment. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. It's actually very similar to don't judging, but pearls are good things. Pearls are valuable things. In fact, pearls in the biblical times represented these treasures uh, of God, the goodness of God, which was associated with the law, the precepts, the behavior, the ways of God. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. And some people get you know, caught up in this language thinking that Jesus is categorizing or labeling um, folks in this context as pigs or as dogs. Now, that's not true. The, the comment that Jesus is making is not in reference to the value of the pigs or the value of the dogs. The, the comment is actually in the value about the pearls. The reference is the value of the pearls. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. It's saying don't expect that these good, valuable things is going to be meaningful in any way to a pig. Making sense? Not quite. Do pigs see value in pearls? Do pigs see value in jewelry? You know, when was the last time you saw a pig with a necklace on? It's saying that, that, that's, that's not going to work. Taking these valuable, treasured, good things, unless somebody sees value and treasure in them and understands it, it's actually of no value. In fact, it will work against you because how does this, how does this, this uh, passage, this verse end? It says, they will trample the pearls and turn and attack you. Let me make this simple. Have, have, you, have you guys met people who have had good things, church, Bible verses, Bible studies, small groups, memory verses, Bible camps, kind of shoved at them their whole lives and they actually turned against the very goodness and treasure that was being offered to them. Put up your hand if you've, you've seen this happen. Okay. I see it happen all the time. So entrust yourself to God. I don't need to worry because God's got me. He's going to take care of my, my needs. I'm going to entrust other people to God. I'm not going to try and control you or change you by judgment and condemnation and shame. Because it won't work. And thirdly, I'm not even going to try and control you or shame you by hanging good things and treasures over your head that you don't actually think are valuable. This third one's intriguing to me, this one about the pigs, because I think we live in a world where Christians expect that the world around them should value and treasure the things that we treasure. And it's not going to happen. And this is why. If you go back to... You guys staying with me here? Do we need to take a stretch break? Um... In Matthew 6, verse 33, right in the middle of this whole sermon that Jesus is giving, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Say that with me. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Say it one more time. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will, do, he will give you everything you need. So I'm going to come back to Bono's lyrics here, where the streets have no name. Ethiopia, Ireland, and then heaven. What is heaven? You know, lots of people have kind of assumed heaven is this place you go to when you die, and that's not true. Heaven is actually, when, when the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it is the realm 
uh, in which God reigns. It's the reign and the rule of God. It's the place where God's will is done. That's why Jesus says, uh, the kingdom is at hand. That's why there's this sense in the Gospels that the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is not yet, that there's places where the kingdom of heaven is. Uh, that's the language Matthew uses, kingdom of heaven. Where the kingdom of heaven is and the kingdom of heaven isn't. How does that work? The kingdom, heaven is this realm that already exists, that some people are a part of because they actually submit to the rule and the reign of God. You guys follow me? And that there's a time at the end of history where God will completely rule and completely reign. That's where we get confused with heaven as this place after we die. There's a time in history where God will completely rule and completely reign and the kingdom of heaven will be everywhere. The kingdom of God will be everywhere. But right now, the kingdom of God is in places where people are submitting voluntarily, willingly to the rule and the reign of their king. And that's where the kingdom reigns. So, we who choose to follow Jesus to come under that reign, to come under that rule, find ourselves in a bit of a predicament. And this is the tension I want to get to this morning. That we live in a culture that says, if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. If you don't agree with me, you don't accept me. And followers of Jesus have kind of wrestled with how do we respond to this tension, this, this dilemma, because we're called to love people, but we're also called to holiness. It's kind of encapsulated in this phrase, love the sinner, hate, hate the saint. Have you guys ever heard that phrase? I get the heart of what that phrase is, is talking about, but I, I want to tell you that I don't think it's helpful. I think Jesus calls us to love people before they're lovable, to accept people before they're acceptable, to serve people before they're worthy, to treat people as royalty before they even bow their knee to the king. I'm going to say that again. Love people before they're lovable, accept people before they're acceptable, serve people before they're worthy, treat people as royalty before they bow their knee to the king. Your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. How does this reign of God come? It comes when those who live under God's reign live in that kingdom reality today. Instead of love the sin or hate the sin, I think followers of Jesus should love the person because a person is more than their behavior. Love the person and hate your own sin. This is what Jesus is saying. Instead of trying to control people by getting them to behave a certain way, whether that's through judgment, condemnation, shame, or whether it's trying to preach the Bible at them or get them to come to church or change their behavior through something that you might believe is really, really good, and it is, but if they don't see value in then it's not good. Our emphasis as followers of Jesus is actually just to love people, period, and not try and label or subdivide people between sinners and we, it already doesn't work. Right? We're all sinners. Love the person, hate your own sin. So in culture, we have this false choice that's been set up. This false choice between you either have to accept what somebody does, how they behave, how they live, if you're going to love them, or if you don't accept them, then in their eyes you won't love them. Uh, does anybody feel this tension? Okay, I, th I think we all feel this tension, whether if it's not personally, it's culturally. At some level, we're living in this world. But the context always dictates how the conversation is heard. Uh, quick, quick example. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, it was a Sunday, it was church, and... I said to Lisa after church, I don't have any plans uh, for, for lunch or the afternoon. We can do what you want. And she was quite upset with me. No, it doesn't make sense. You're thinking, well, Lisa doesn't seem like she'd be the type of a person that's upset if you didn't make plans to go out for lunch. And that's, you're, you're right. But what if I told you that the context of that day was Mother's Day? Oh, 
Do you guys understand that the context actually gives the conversation meaning? Does that make sense? The context of our world, without getting too philosophical here, we've moved from uh, virtue, which is, virtues is something that society as a whole thinks is valuable. And so there's a time where the church could actually speak and critique society and culture because the, the alignment of society was actually more around uh, Christian virtue. Over time, that shifted to values. So virtues to values, and v- values has become more personal. Uh, so what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me. Right? Have you, you guys understand the shift? And so out of that shift, uh, which would would be classified under postmodernism. You can't say that you accept me, but reject my actions. Do you guys see that? If what is true for me is true for me, then if you reject what is true for me, you actually reject me. The ability for the church, for followers of Jesus, to actually critique is gone. Our voice isn't heard. The context of our culture dictates how the conversation is heard. You might have the best intentions at heart. You might be really trying really hard to love the sinner and hate the sin, and it's just not working, and people aren't listening, and in fact, they're getting angry at you, and they're kind of like the pearls before pigs, and they're, they're, they're getting mad at you, and they're attacking you, because that is the context of our culture. So let me speak of this very quickly, that the lie of our culture is that acceptance equals agreement. Don't buy into this lie. There's a false choice here between you have to accept, you know, people's behaviors and you have to accept sin or you have to love people. Oh, and you have to love people and you can't separate those two. That's not true. Jesus shows that it wasn't true. In fact, if you as a follower of Jesus decide to take Jesus' word seriously and you say, I'm not going to judge people, I'm not going to condemn people. I'm not going to try and control people by shame. I'm not going to try and shove good things down their throat even though they're very good things. I'm going to live under the rule and reign of God the Father. I'm going to take my own sin seriously and I'm going to love like crazy on people. If you follow Jesus' lead, because this is what he did, you will be misunderstood. And you will be mostly misunderstood by other people that claim to follow Jesus. They'll accuse you of coming into agreement with injustice, with sin, with evil. But let me just say that Jesus was not afraid of being misunderstood by religious folks. He wasn't. In fact, you read the Gospels, all sorts of people angry with Jesus. Who's angry with Jesus? It's the church-going crowd. It's the Pharisees. Do you guys know what the word Pharisee means? It means separate. Separatist. The Pharisees are religious folks that wanted to create lines and labels and subdivisions so they could figure out who was in and out. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God above all, all else and righteousness, oh, and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. 99 times the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is talked about. The Bible paints this picture of a place where all things are made right. This place where subdivisions and labels are gone. No more tears, no more mourning, no more death, no more pain. This is what it talks about in the end of Revelation. And I talked about the kingdom of God is not just a place but it's those who are under the reign of God. So I hear Bono sing and I am like it. There's a longing in my heart that grows when I listen to that song. And I hope you feel the same. Our culture would have us believe that the way to live in that place of a place where streets have no names, where people don't have labels and there's no subdivisions is through a tolerance and acceptance And tolerance and acceptance, I'm telling you, will not get us there. The problem is not that we're too tolerant, though. I 
You know, I hear these culture words of, you know, Christians, we got to be less tolerant, less accepting. The problem isn't that we're too tolerant. I'd say we're not tolerant enough. The problem isn't that we're not too accepting, we're not too accepting enough. The problem is that we are too tolerant and accepting of our own sin. This place where the streets have no name will not come by trying to control others through judgment and condemnation. It's not going to work. This place where the streets have no name does not come by trying to shove really good things down the throats of people that don't want it. The place where the streets have no name actually happens when people willingly and voluntarily bow their knee to the king. And I have a question. Why do we expect people who do not confess Jesus as king to live their lives under the rule of God? This this doesn't make sense to me. Why do we expect that our world, our culture, our society is to function like it's the kingdom of God? It's not. And it won't ever be a replacement for the kingdom of God. The time where followers of Jesus expect that the world around them should follow Jesus to make, our work, to make our roles a little easier, I think, is over. I think sometimes we think, well, if, you know, if society would kind of be more in line with the teachings of Jesus, then it would be a lot easier for me. That's backwards thinking. So do you see... The tension here. What I would encourage you this morning, and I know that some of you guys don't agree with me, and that's okay. You see what I did there? Jesus was, was misunderstood, so I set myself up in the place of Jesus to be misunderstood, so you can't disagree with me. Um, I think that for many of us, we have not been tolerant and accepting of people in our lives. I think there's folks, but other specific folks or specific demographics that you, you and I have not been tolerant of, we have not been accepting of, we've been uh, judgmental, we've been using, you know, judgment, condemnation, shame to try and change their behavior. And it maybe comes out of a good heart, but it's not going to help. Jesus says, remove the log out of your own eye before you try and remove the speck in a brother's eye. So by the way, that brother means a fellow believer. And the log there, you know, isn't just any old sin. I would even argue that the log there is condemnation. Get rid of condemnation, judgment, shame. So you can actually help people for real. Some of us haven't been tolerant and accepting enough. And we've been judging, shaming, trying to manipulate other people's behavior. Some of us haven't been tolerant and accepting enough. And we've been trying to change people's behavior by throwing a lot of good things at them, but they don't want to hear it. And I would suggest this morning that become more tolerant, more accepting of folks, and become less tolerant of your own sin. Because until the children of God choose to live under the reign of God, the world is not going to listen to what you have to say. If you look at statistics within the church and outside of the church, they're basically the same. Basically the same on stats of, you know, everything from pornography to, to marriage, divorce, to, to, to drug use, to what we watch, how we spend our time, like everything, it's the same. So can we take more seriously our own sin? I invite you to stand with me as the band comes up. This feels a little heavy-handed for a summer sermon, doesn't it? I'm going on holidays tomorrow. Have a... Um, One small rabbit trail as we, as we close. The, lots of folks think the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament is 
the difference between law and grace. That the Old Testament was a testament around law and holiness, and then Jesus comes and brings grace. But that's actually not true. In fact, the Jewish people in the Old Testament were very well aware that they were saved by grace. Over and over again, they understood that it was the Lord was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. That God continually had patience with them. That God continually extended grace to them. But there was a big shift between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What was it if it wasn't law and grace? The big shift in the New Testament, and if you read carefully, the people that had a hard time entering into the New Covenant of what Jesus was trying to do, was that grace went from being channeled to a specific group of ethnic people, the Israelites, to being available to the whole world. That was the difference. It wasn't law and grace. It was God extending grace to a select group of people, a divided group of people, to actually God saying to everybody in the world, grace is for everybody if you want it. But the way that you access it the way that you walk in it is actually to come in under the rule and reign of God. And I would even suggest that grace, we often think of grace, well, I, I just got to accept God's grace so I can get into heaven. But if heaven isn't this place to get into at some point, it's more so the reality and the realm and the reign of God today. I would suggest that grace is the thing that we need day in and day out to actually live in the rule and the reign of God. You guys see the difference? That God gives us his grace to actually live under his reign and rule, that we can live a life of obedience, that we can live a life set apart from our world, that we can live a life that's full of the love of God that surpasses our cultural lines and divides and tensions like we talked about this morning. So as John and the band play, uh, I'm going to invite you to consider... Uh, I know this is unpopular, but I don't really care. I'm going to invite you to consider sin in your life that you have been too tolerant of. That there's a place in your life where God's rule and reign isn't actually happening. Where there's something in your life that you know is contrary to what God would have for you, the will of God, the reign of God, and you've been too tolerant and too accepting of it. And he wants to address it this morning. And on the other side, there may be people that you, haven't been too, that you haven't been tolerant and accepting of enough. And God wants to highlight those people to you. And to say, stop judging them. Stop trying to control their behavior. Just love them and worry about your own sin. So let me pray. And I trust the Holy Spirit's going to do what the Holy Spirit does. And he's going to show you what he needs to show you. Father, uh, we thank you that you are slow to anger, that you are abounding in love and grace and compassion. Lord, we thank you that you love sinners because that includes all of us. And Father, I pray right now that through your spirit, you would highlight for us areas that we haven't let you take control of, areas that you're not reigning in, areas of sin, places that we've missed the mark on your ideal in our lives, places that we're still trying to control and we've been too tolerant of. Even right now, would you just bring those things to mind, bring those things up in our hearts? And Lord, ironically, even as we've become too tolerant of sin in our lives, we've become not tolerant enough of other people that think differently and live differently than us. Uh, and Lord, are there folks, are there uh, specific people, specific demographics that we have actually become intolerant of, unaccepting of, unloving towards? Would you raise those folks in our hearts as well? Lord, we want to live in this tension well. We want to represent you well. We're your ambassadors. You're our, you're our king. 
we're your kids. Would you show us what it means to love well and to live in holiness? In Jesus' name, amen. How many folks, how many of you guys want the kingdom of heaven to come down? Yeah. So what I'm saying this morning is if the kingdom of heaven is the reign of heaven, the reign of God, the way that the kingdom comes down is actually through us voluntarily and willingly coming under the rule and the reign of Jesus. And we talk lots about the kingdom coming where the streets have no name and all these great ideas, but are we willing to bend our knee to Jesus? Are we willing to actually come under his rule and his reign in our life? And you, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, but if you're anything like me, that um, he doesn't have rule and reign all the time. And I go in and out of these moments of actually taking control back and giving it back to him. Uh, Maybe you're here this morning and you've never actually taken that step of saying, I want Jesus to actually reign in my life. And I want to give an opportunity for Um, regardless if you've been following Jesus for a long time or maybe you haven't, to respond uh, to coming under the reign of Jesus this morning. Uh, And and it doesn't have to be scary and it's nothing, uh, I shouldn't say it is a big deal. It's a big deal because uh, it's the best decision you can ever make in your life is actually to give control over to Jesus. Um, But I simply want to pray for you and give you the opportunity to respond to that this morning. And... uh, you know, if you're someone this morning who, who can identify that, you know, you haven't given that rule, that reign over to Jesus, or there's areas in your life that you said, I've actually been too tolerant and accepting of some sin and stuff in my life that I know that uh, God wants me to deal with, I'm going to simply just invite you to stand and I want to, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to get you to confess your sin out loud. Don't worry. Uh, I just want to pray for you. So if you're in that place this morning, please stand as we close all... Awesome. We want the kingdom to come, but if the kingdom is reign, it means giving reign to Jesus in our lives. I know I'm already standing, but I, I stand with you that there's places in my life that I want Jesus to have more reign and more rule. Um, places I've been too tolerant and accepting of sin in my life. And maybe there's other folks here uh, where there, you can identify that there's a certain person or a certain group of people that you've subdivided, that you've labeled, that you've actually, you ha- you've had a great heart. You've, you've been trying to honor God in it, but you've um, actually used maybe judgment or just throwing good things at somebody, it, you know, assuming that, you know, that was going to help them. And... Uh, uh, and you haven't been as tolerant and as accepting and loving as you uh, realize this morning that you ought to be. And if you're in that place, I'm going to invite you to stand too. If there's specific people that Jesus is saying, I want you to be more loving, more accepting, more tolerant of these folks in your life. Awesome. Beautiful. This is where the streets have no name starts in our hearts. And so thank you for being obedient to what the Holy Spirit's laying on you. Um, if you're around someone that's standing, just even if you're standing with them, lay a hand on each other as I, as I pray. It's just a sign of um, support and blessing. Um, and if you've never, if this is the first time you're saying, I want to give control to Jesus in my life, I just invite you to come and chat with me after because I'd love to just talk to you and, and talk a little bit about what that might look like in the future and next steps. Um, as well, if there's very specific things that are on your heart that you're like, I'd really like to chat with somebody, pray with somebody about this. We always have prayer teams available uh, after the service. So uh, as John and the band continue to play after I'm done praying, uh, there'll be a prayer team to my right, your left, and also a prayer team uh, in the hallway. Um, unless they're on summer holidays. And if they're not, then just come find me and I'll pray with you too. Father, we, uh, we just pray for your grace. Um, Lord, we know that you are, there's no limit to your grace. There's no limit to your love. 
And Father, I pray that you would uh, enable us and strengthen us through your grace um, to overcome sin in our life. Lord, I pray for those who have stood that uh, have recognized I've been too tolerant, I've been too accepting of some stuff that doesn't really need to be there, that isn't honoring, that doesn't belong in the kingdom. Um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, give them the strength in Jesus' name to close the door to those areas in their life, to become completely intolerant, to become, uh, to hate the sin, so to speak. And Lord, I recognize that sometimes, and even in our best intentions, we try and do that alone, and it, it becomes very difficult because you've created us for community. And so I, pr- I pray for a boldness. I pray for uh, a vulnerability for those folks that need to um, hang on to somebody else's hand, that need to reach out, that need to invite other folks into their journey with them. Lord, that you would give them the vulnerability, the courage, and the boldness to do that. Lord, I thank you that you uh, love everybody, including us. And sometimes we can forget that, Lord, that we're saved by grace. Um, And it's because you loved us when we were unlovable, that you accepted us when we were unacceptable, that you extended your tolerance and kindness to us when we don't get it right. And Lord, I pray that we would be that example to people in our lives. And so, Lord, we just recognize the, the, the people that you've brought to mind Um, as we've prayed and considered uh, who are those people in our lives that we we need to act more um, tolerant and accepting of. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would just be overwhelmed with the way that you've tolerated us. Lord, that we'd be so broken by your patience and compassion with us that it it would just seep out of us. Lord, that when people encounter us, that they would just, they would sense this love, that they would sense this grace, that they would sense this patience because it's an extension of you. It's an extension of your spirit through us. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come more and more every day. Uh, Lord, we want to see it come as a faith community, but Lord, we recognize that as a faith community that happens when we as individuals bow our knee. And so Jesus, we just say we bow our knee to you this morning. We say that you are king, that you rule, uh, that our lives are yours, that this world is yours. And we, we give you permission to reign, not because you need it, Lord, but because you've asked us to invite you in. And so we say, yes, come, Lord Jesus, come. Rule and reign in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Again, there'll be prayer teams available. I'd love to chat with you and pray with you. Uh, enjoy the weekend, and uh, we'll see you guys soon.